Hey everyone, welcome back to the Georgia Chamber podcast. This is your host, Kayla Robertson, and today's guest is the chair of the Georgia Chamber's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council, Michonne Sawyer. Michonne, thank you so much for joining me today. So happy to be here. While we are recording this episode, we are currently at our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Summit. And already today, we've listened to several discussions from various DEI professionals and experts. There are several of those topics that I wanted to talk to you about, as well as some of the topics that you discussed in your panel. But before we get started, I wanted to give you just a moment to tell our audience about yourself and the organization you're representing. Well, I currently work with J.E. Dunn Construction. Um, I am a proud employee owner. Um, I cover diversity, equity, and inclusion for the East region and then healthcare across the country. Um, I love my company. I am a licensed attorney by trade. So I think that is always something extra that I think I can bring to the table, um, the ability to understand policy implementation and things like that. Absolutely. So currently you are serving as the chair of the DE&I Council with the Chamber. What does that role entail for you? It's been great. Awesome. You know, just to, um, I've been working with Stacy Key. We've been co-chairing and Tasha Allen. And it's been absolutely phenomenal. What that means to me is I have been a part of traveling and learning the state of Georgia and the different needs in each different environment in the state, each business. And and it's it's been awesome because I feel like it's part of my role to help educate, help answer questions, help people feel like that they're on the right path to inclusion. Absolutely. And so you did just mention that you are an attorney. So just going off of that policy expertise that you may have, what is the biggest difference that you find in developing these strategies and initiatives within an organization versus in your role at the chamber, you're looking at statewide policies that can be implemented as far as DE&I? Well, it's a passion for me. Um, The policy piece, I was blessed to have worked for a United States senator before, and I, I believe that policy is what makes the change. So one of the things we look at with the chamber is how do we benefit businesses? How do we make diversity, equity, and inclusion a positive business choice? It's not only the right thing to do, but we've been working to explain to people that it actually will help them grow their business. People talk often about a workforce problem. You know, we're, we're, we're having these problems. We've got this workforce shortage. The workforce shortage can be, I think we can eradicate it if we go into those underserved communities across the state. If we go into looking at and where we're opening up industries to figuring out how do we hire working mothers, how are we bringing more females to to the jobs, and then just getting more data on it. Where are we looking at pay equity, things like that, and, and implementing policies like that at an organization is similar, but it's on a micro level. So we're also thinking, okay, here's our company culture. How do we fit these policies in with our company culture? And something that we talked about today on the panel is you've got people who've been with the company for decades. And one of the biggest things we have to do, and I I say this all the time, and I, I smile when I say it, but I'm being serious. One of the biggest obstacles that I face is when someone says, this is the way we always have done it. 
Because, yes, I'm coming into the room and people like me are trying to tell you we want you to do it differently. And it can be better when you do it differently. It can be more more dramatic if we do it differently. Bringing in diverse ideas, especially in the construction industry, we're building things. So having people from different backgrounds, different areas of the country, the world, having them, we're going to build it better. And so just, just delivering that message one day at a time. Have you found that you've received any pushback or resistance to these policies once they're implemented? And what is the strategy for enforcing those policies? Well, first of all, yes, there's constant pushback. But I've been blessed with my company to have the, the backing of leadership. Our, if, if you start at the top and the leaders march that walk, and, and you know, they're walking those policies, they're pushing it, they're saying it's important. I think it makes it easier but the biggest thing is making sure that it's not just at the grassroots and it's not at the top. It's got to, you've got to make sure you're working it in the middle. And so, honestly, that takes time. It's an ever-evolving thing because life keeps changing, so we all have to roll with it. We have to improve. We have to learn. We have to scale up. So I think a lot of it is in making sure that people feel comfortable voicing their opinions if it's something different that I'm asking you to do, tell me why that is. I had someone ask me just a few minutes ago, what's the importance of intersectionality? And it's a conversation that a lot of people don't have. But when companies keep data and they just say people of color or women, you're not really truly telling the whole story. Because if we're looking at, let's say, for instance, pay equity, we know there's a big gap in pay for between women and, and, and men, right? But it's even a bigger gap if you're a black woman or a Latino woman than it is if you're a white woman. So, yeah, white women are making, what, 80 cents on the dollar? Well, black women are making 60 cents on the dollar, and I might have those numbers wrong. But my point is, is that it tells a different story. So intersectionality is really, really important when you're studying and trying to figure out where do we need to improve? Where do, what steps do we need to, to take? And what can we do better? In our panel this morning, you led a discussion around anti-racist policies and how to implement those within an organization. One thing that you mentioned was that sometimes you'll have a lot of people who will say, oh, well, I'm not a racist. But you noted that there is a large difference between being a non-racist and being anti-racist. Is that the same when it comes to policies that can be implemented within organizations? Are there just policies that maybe are non-racist versus actually implementing anti-racist policies? Uh, yes, there's a huge difference. Good question, Kayla. People always say like, okay, we're going to make this policy race neutral. We're going to do it. And, and many times, if that's possible, that's what we always want to do. However, what we have to be careful with when we implement policy is how it affects everyone. So if I come in and, and I say, you know, moving forward on every construction project, we're, all, we're only going to do six-foot ladders. You know, that's safer. We're not as high off the ground. But if I'm five-foot-five, I might need a little more than the guy who happens to be six-two. So implementing a policy that's the same across the board, yeah, it's equality. Everybody's equal. But is it truly equity because it's everybody getting everything they need? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be careful with our policies that way. 
And another thing you mentioned that I really, really liked this morning was that at J.E. Dunn, you do something that you refer to as do again and do betters. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that means to our audience? Um, Whenever we do, if we're building a building or starting a new project or even even just figuring out, putting a new process in place, we'll sit down and we'll have a meeting and we'll say, okay, we built a building like this in Tampa you know, okay, now we're about to do this in Atlanta. What are the lessons that we learned there? What do we want to do? What do we do right? And we'll make a list like, okay, we did this right. We did this. And it's not always necessarily right or wrong, but this was a success. But as you go through things, there's always something. If you're really being humble enough, you're going to look back and say, okay, I could have done that better. I could have allotted more time for this, or I could have ordered this quicker, or um, I would have added one more person to this, this particular project. And so that's how we improve. We're steadily improving every single day. So we figure out what we're doing right, and then what we need to maybe pivot on. And what kinds of DE&I efforts are you currently leading at JE Dunn, and how have you seen those efforts impact the culture within the company since you've been there? Oh, major. So one of the things that J.E. Dunn started right before I came was a national scholarship for minorities. But then when I looked at it, I wanted to see, first of all, let's prolong the application process so we can get more people into it. We also looked at, okay, we're recruiting at two or three HBCUs. Let's recruit at eight. And how are we targeting those people and who's going to see? So one of the things that we did in the East region and our human resources and college recruitment team is ace at this. But we started diversifying the teams that we're sending out. So we weren't just relying on alumni from the different schools. But we made sure, like if we're sending someone out to a school, we make sure that there's women in that group. We're making sure that there's a minority in that group because if you're a female, especially in construction, if you're coming in the room to interview, you're going to be so much more comfortable if you see someone there that looks like you and is already doing it. So those are some of the things. We're also working really strongly on the supplier diversity front. One of the things we do, we mentor smaller businesses. We create smaller bid packages so that they can participate in the project. But we do a good job, I think, and again, we can, everyone can always do better, but we've been practicing matchmaking, business matchmaking, meeting the right people, hooking them up. You guys do that well here at the chamber. But now that we're post-COVID, one of the things I see a lot of people doing those types of things virtually, and what we try to balance at JE Dunn is doing it in person because people are more comfortable working with people who they know. And as convenient as Zoom and Teams and all that is, it's not the same as being able to stand across the room from somebody and shake their hand and figure out, this is who I am as a company. This is what my company does. And for me to to register, ooh, that's somebody I want to work with. It's difficult to do that sometimes via Teams. Speaking of women in construction, as of October of last year, only 14% of people who are working in the construction industry are female. Does J.E. Dunn have any programs or strategies aimed at promoting female participation in the industry? We do. <laughs> we, we, have one, we have a huge um, woman's ERG called Moment Connection that we put in place to help women 
to feel comfortable, to have a place to go to talk, to learn about leadership and development, all of that. But in addition to that, we are very intentional in our interviewing teams. Like I told you before with the recruiting, we do the same with the interviewing teams. We bring women out so that women who are interviewing can talk to us about our jobs. We're meeting, we do it with um, different colleges, especially throughout the Atlanta and Georgia area. We're actually meeting with the women's organizations in those groups. I belong to both NAWIC, which is the National Association of Women in Construction, and NABWIC, which is the National Association of Black Women in Construction. But we... In the AEC industry, that's architectural, engineering, and construction, I think it's important. We're doing better at the collegiate level because that's where it starts. It's introducing people to those careers. And let me correct myself. That's not where it starts. It actually starts in the elementary schools when you teach young girls that this is something that they can do. So we're starting that, too. We go in and we speak to second and third grade classes sometimes to talk about careers in construction and the opportunities there. We also talk about the, play, the, the ability, especially for minority women, to build in generational wealth through construction. And when I was working in Chicago, I was actually able to see a young woman who was living in public housing at the time work her way out of that, starting in the construction industry as a laborer. And she's now a successful carpenter now. She's raised her kids. Her kids are getting ready to go off to college now. But it was life-changing for her. And it started with getting her into the local union and getting her going. And it doesn't take that. Here in Georgia, it's easy. There's, there's training programs that the state sets up. You can go and you can be a part of those. Large contractors like myself, we have our own training programs internally. So you don't even have to go to college. But if you're going to college, look at the construction careers. Look at construction management, architecture, engineering. And I'm going to say even business administration. Construction, large construction companies are little microcosms. So we hire our own accountants, our marketing, our, our lawyers, everybody. We hire them all because we need them in-house. There are some great opportunities in the industry. And I think if we're intentional about opening those doors for women and making sure that women know it's possible, because it's difficult to do what you've never seen done. And so just showing them that women are doing it, women can doing, do it, but we've also got to make accommodations yeah. for them. And so we're looking for businesses across the country to look at what do we do to make things e- easier? What do we do to get women in the, you know, in the workplace? And sometimes that means allowing people to work from home a couple of days a week. Obviously, in construction, that's even more difficult for us because you can't build building from home. But sometimes it's making space for a, a young mother to nurse in between while she's on the job. It's little things like that that I think can make a woman feel more comfortable in the space. Absolutely. If there was one message that you feel like encompassed the work that you're doing both at J.E. Dunn and here at the Chamber, what would that message be? Intentionality. Be intentional each and every day. And I think it's um, Desmond Tutu said it, said it best. If you're not speaking out against injustice, then you're helping the person who's doing the harm. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I've totally paraphrased that, but I think that's like that's something I'm always thinking about. So if I see something, I say something. 
and we try to figure out a way to fix it. So my message to the, through the chamber and through J.E. Dunn is let us know if something's going on. Give people an opportunity to correct their actions and give people grace. Just give grace. If you go, if, if, if I ever meet anyone or have a conversation with someone, I presume that they have good intentions until they show me otherwise. And so I try to walk through life like that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. You asked wonderful questions and keep up the good work. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Georgia Chamber podcast. And before we close out the show, I wanted to let our listeners know that registration for Eggs and Issues 2024 is now open on our website. We have an incredible program this year, and I'm very excited about our change of venue. For the very first time, we will be hosting Eggs and Issues at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We would love for you to join us on January 10th, so if you're interested in registering, you can visit gachamber.com events. You won't want to miss it. Mm-hmm.